One of the most exciting things that we do in the church is the sacrament of baptism. Christians have come to different conclusions about baptism, and we have actually in our church done it in different ways. Some of you were here a few weeks ago, about a month ago now, and we had, I borrowed a baptistry from a local Baptist church and had it out on the front steps, which was an awesome day, and so we had people go all the way down in the water and come all the way back out. But for us, the way we understand baptism is it's not so much about an individual stepping forward and saying, I believe, as it is God's making a claim on somebody's somebody's life. And so that's why in our tradition, it's appropriate to baptize people who have special needs or infants, people who can't speak for themselves, as long as they are in part of a household that has already dedicated themselves to the Lord. In fact, for us, it's sort of like circumcision was in the Old Testament. It was a claim and a promise that God made on a little boy's or a little girl's life. Today, we have the real pleasure of celebrating the baptisms of Conrad Decker. So if Conrad and Katie and Trevor, if you guys want to come down over here, and any family or friends would like to come up, why don't you gather over here? A big boy. Um, why don't you, family and friends, let me gather over here on the far side. That'd be great. I first uh, remember meeting Trevor and Katie in the fall at a, one of our membership classes when Katie was very pregnant. And then we, some of you will remember, we celebrated the marathon passing by having folks out here on uh, December cheering on the marathoners. And they were out there, and the next day, was it? Or very soon after that. Her water broke that night. So she was out there, very pregnant, still cheering on the marathoners. So I, we appreciate that. And it was four weeks ago also, Trevor was baptized when we did the thing outside. So it just it's great to see this family here today. Friends, listen to these words. Brothers and sisters in Christ, through the sacrament of baptism, we are initiated into Christ's holy church. We are incorporated into God's mighty acts of salvation. And we're given new birth through water and the spirit. All this is God's gift offered to us without price. So I have two questions for Katie and Trevor. On behalf of the whole church, I ask you, do you reject all that is evil, repent of your sin, and accept the freedom and power God gives you to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves? And if so, please respond, I do. Do you confess Jesus Christ as your Savior, put your whole trust in his grace, and promise to serve him as your Lord in union with the church, which Christ has opened to people of all ages, nations, and races? And if so, please respond, I do. do. The last one is a will question. Will you nurture this child in Christ's holy church that by your teaching and example he may be guided to accept God's grace for himself, to profess his faith openly and to lead a Christian life? And if so, please respond, I will. will. And then, of course, as we say all the time, it's impossible to be a Christian on your own. And this little boy is going to need the whole church family to come around beside him. So there's a role that we have as the congregation as well. I have two questions for you. Do you, as Christ's body, the church, reaffirm both your rejection of sin and your commitment to Christ? And if so, please respond, we do. Will you nurture one another in the Christian faith and life, include this child now before you in your care, and surround him with a community of love and forgiveness? And if so, please respond, we will. Baptism obviously is highly symbolic, but it is not only symbolic. And so we're going to pray that the Lord would use the water to give new birth through water and the spirit to this little boy. So hear this beautiful prayer reciting the ways that God has been working through water. Let's pray. Eternal Father, your mighty acts of salvation have been made known through water, from the moving of your spirit upon the waters of creation to the deliverance of your people through the flood and through the Red Sea. In the fullness of time, you sent Jesus, nurtured in the water of a womb, baptized by John and anointed by your spirit. 
He called his disciples to share in the baptism of his death and resurrection and to make disciples of all nations. So, Lord, pour out your Holy Spirit to bless this gift of water and he who receives it, to wash away his sin and clothe him in righteousness throughout his life, that dying and being raised with Christ, he may share in his final victory through the same Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. All right. And after we baptize him, you guys can all come in close. You to put your hand on his back or on Katie or Trevor's shoulder or something like that. And it's, his middle name is James. Is that right? Conrad James, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. You guys want to circle in? The Holy Spirit work within you that being born through water and the Spirit, you may become a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. Actually, can I show him off for a second? He's being a good boy. He is, he's how old? Seven months. Seven months old. And God made a promise to him before this little boy was even born. He said, I'm going to be with him. The same promise is true with you or I if we've been baptized. doesn't matter where you've gone or how far you've run away. God's yes remains to you today. Take comfort in that today. Why don't we welcome this little brother in Christ today? Okay. There you go. It's a good boy. You guys can have a seat. Good morning. Uh, if you're just joining us, my name is Andrew. I'm the pastor for this congregation. I've actually been out of town for the last several weeks, so it's a real pleasure for me to be back here. My friend Joshua Jones, who was helping uh, lead us in worship the last couple of weeks, I know told uh, the church a couple weeks ago that I was away at dance camp. And you know that was a joke, right? He said he didn't want anybody, I didn't want anybody to know, but I'm okay with that. You can know that I love dance and that's fine. It's, uh, it's great to be back. The last several weeks I was worshiping early in the morning at 8.30 on the East Coast, so it was way before church started here, but I was anxious all morning. I wonder how it's going, and I was really praying for you, and I hope that God was working through the last several weeks. A couple of just quick things to point out. You'll notice uh, we've done some redecorating around here. This week is Vacation Bible School, and this theme is sky, whatever that means. So that's why there's clouds and planes and kites around. And if you were coming in this morning or even during our music time, if you heard some rumblings downstairs we have a little kids music band and they're leading their other little kids in some songs this morning and of course in about um six weeks or so when our uh, renovations are finished our kids will move over there so they're just here temporarily for the summer so it's just i love hearing them i think it's such an exciting thing to think about how god's working in the lives of our little ones downstairs last thing i should say is that leon jackson a young guy who often leads us in prayer is away this whole month as a camp counselor so we praying for him. Uh, you can just imagine for a guy like Leon, whom even if you don't know him, he's obviously just filled with uh, the spirit. A guy like that to be mentoring, you know, uh, seventh and eighth graders is just a powerful thing. So I'm really praying that God will be using Leon as he works uh, at that camp. I have some questions I want to begin with today. I want to give you a little bit of time to think about them. Let's say that you're in the mall, you're on an airplane, you're at a baseball game, and somebody you're sitting next to says, Who's the Holy Spirit? Who's the Holy Spirit? How would you respond? I'm going to give you like 10 seconds to think about it.
Would you have an answer? It's an important question. Let me ask you another question. If you're a Christian here today, why is it that it seems like some Christians live lives of, of going on the way that God wants them to go? They're pushing towards uh, perfection, as it says in Hebrews. People who seem to be demonstrating more grace, more compassion, more courage in their lives. At the same time, there's other Christians who seem to be dominated by fear, by selfishness, by bitterness. Why do you think that's the case? And maybe in your life, maybe you, you've wanted to live a different sort of life, and you're a Christian, but change has been non-existent in your life. Or maybe if you're not a Christian here today, you might have thought that same question, which is, how come some Christians don't seem to be anything like Jesus? Maybe you've wondered about that before. But of course, you probably... In fact, I pray this is the case. Even if you know a lot of Christians, you seem to live nothing like Jesus, you've probably met one or two people at places in your life, maybe it was your grandmother, maybe somebody that you work with, who seem to be demonstrating a real degree of, forgive the church word, holiness, a life very much like Jesus. Why is that? I have another question for you. How did you end up here today? I don't mean, you know, you got in your car, you made a left turn. I mean, how did you end up here today? All these questions have to do with the Holy Spirit. And they're very important questions, and for the next several weeks, we'll be looking at the, the work and the person of the Holy Spirit. I, I think the Holy Spirit is something that's particularly difficult for us to often wrap our heads around or understand. And if you have TV at all, you've turned on some of these religious programming channels, and the guys are raving and ranting about the Holy Spirit, and you think, if that's what the Holy Spirit is, I don't want anything to do with that. And maybe you came from a tradition which... <clears throat> You know, you know, it was more about quiet and prayer and uh, contemplation, and so you thought, well, maybe the Holy Spirit isn't working there. We have lots of questions about the Holy Spirit, and I wanted to take some time to look at it. And I want to look today at a passage in Romans chapter 8. Romans 8 is one of my favorite uh, passages in all of Scripture. Some Bible commentators have said that if Scripture is like a ring, Romans 8 is like the jewel in the center of the ring. It's such a, such a beautiful passage. And here's what I want you to do as I listen to this. I want you to pay attention to what it, this passage says about God, about the work of the Spirit, and particularly, I want you to listen for Trinitarian examples. Now, the Trinity is a fundamental doctrine of Christianity. That is that we have one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I realize that is very difficult for a lot of us to understand. If you're new to the faith or exploring the faith, that, that's probably just bizarre to you and you don't understand it. With all those questions, I'd sort of like you to pay attention to what this passage I'm going to read from the Apostle Paul in Romans 8 says about the Trinitarian nature of God. So in other words, what does this say about the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit? Like everything that Paul writes, Romans is pretty difficult. Maybe you've tried to read it at times. And one of the things I like to tell people about the Bible is that it's something that you can spend your whole life studying, but also you don't need to get discouraged when you don't understand every part of it. Because there's still enough parts of it that God can speak to you through it, even if you don't understand everything. And in fact, right here, we're getting in the middle of a complicated argument that Paul is making. So here we are, Romans chapter 8, verse 9. He's talking to the Christians who are in Rome. He says, you, however, are not controlled by the sinful nature, but are in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ lives in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. 
And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. So therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die, but if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. And the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Let's pray. Lord, this is a difficult passage of scripture, but it's beautiful. And so, Lord, we pray for that same spirit to be in us today, to be in this place, to testify to our spirits that we, in fact, don't have a spirit of fear to go back into slavery, but a spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And, Lord, we pray today for heaven to fall down, for the spirit to pour out. So, Lord, take my words and speak through them. Take our hearts and think through them. Take our thoughts and think through them, rather, and take our hearts and set them afire with love for you and for the world. We ask this in your holy name, the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Right here in this passage, we see something that seems, I imagine, to the early church to be very mysterious. We're talking about the work of God, but we talk about it in different ways and as if there's different people. Paul says, this is verse 17, verse 16. The Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And if we are children, then we are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. So right here you see the work of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, as it says in Ephesians, but a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Here's just what I'd like to say to you today about the work of the Trinity and the work of the Spirit. This is a deep mystery to which people have been looking and and about which people have been thinking and writing for 2,000 years. It's okay if it's a little bit over your head. And what I'd like to do today is just give you the permission not to understand everything about the work of the Spirit or the work of the triune God, but I want to break down some of the ways the Spirit works in our lives, and in fact, who is the Spirit that we cry the Holy Spirit? And I want to start by asking you to take out a hymnal in the back of your pews. The hymnals are the bigger red books. There's small ones that say Bible, there's a bigger one that says hymnal. We don't ever use the hymnals uh, very often, but there's a great pastor I want to turn to today. Flip to the back of the hymnal to page 884. You're looking for something that says a statement of faith of the Korean Methodist Church, page 884. Okay, if you look a little bit down the page, it says a statement of faith of the Korean Methodist Church. One of the things the early church did is they said, We're going to lay out the ground rules of the faith. It's like the foul lines. There's the right field and the left field line, and that's the boundaries. Now, inside that, we're going to disagree about some things. We're going to disagree about baptism, about other issues, but there are certain boundaries that if you're going to be a Christian, this is what the church has spoken. And in fact, in about uh, 381 AD, the whole church of the whole world got together and said, these are the boundaries. This statement of faith, which is also called a creed of the Korean church, is just kind of a reworking of that. And I want to draw your attention to this sentence about the Holy Spirit. We believe in the Holy Spirit, God present with us for guidance, 
for comfort, and for strength. We believe in the Holy Spirit, that is God present with us for guidance, for comfort, and for strength. I want us to remember remember those three words, so I want us to say it together. For guidance, for comfort, and for strength. Let's try it again. We believe in the Holy Spirit, God with us for guidance, for comfort, and for strength. You may not understand all the workings of the Spirit. You may turn on religious television and not understand what the televangelists are talking about. You may have friends who have different understandings of the way the Spirit works. Perhaps you came from a, um, a background that was very liturgical. Maybe you were Roman Catholic, and so the Mass was a way that you really felt in touch with God. And then you have some friends who are from a Pentecostal background, and the way they feel close to the Lord is through clapping in the hands or, or ecstatic workings of the Spirit. Maybe you came from a tradition that's neither that nor the other. You don't have to know all the ways the Spirit works, and the Spirit works in different ways for different people. But what is true for all times and all places for all of us is that the Holy Spirit is God with us for guidance, for comfort, and for strength. I'm going to work through those three words this morning. The Holy Spirit is God with us for guidance. We turn back to Romans chapter 8, verse 14. Paul says, those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Those who are led The Holy Spirit guides us and leads us in our path. So how did you end up here this morning? I'll tell you how I ended up here. About eight years ago, I made friends with a guy in Richmond, Virginia. And he was dating the cousin of his college roommate. And she happened to live in Dallas. And my friend felt a call to ministry. We were both working in a local church. And it was one of those things where either he was going to move to where she was or she was going to move to where he was for him to attend seminary to try out this dating thing, this long-distance relationship. And he decided he was going to move to Dallas to attend seminary here. And I moved him down here, drove down. The air conditioning was out in his car. It was in the middle of August, and we drove from Virginia to Dallas. I'd never been to Dallas before. We helped him move in. And since then, he went on to graduate from seminary. He's ordained in the Methodist church. And this woman that he was interested in, they've since gotten married. When, he was, when I moved him in, I visited the seminary that he was going to attend. And I thought, you know, that's where I'd like to go. So the next year, my wife and I moved down here, and we actually moved over to East Dallas and Junius Heights, and we lived above our friends in a quadplex in an old house right over here by the Lakewood Library. And while I was in seminary, I was working for a small Spanish-language church plant. I don't speak Spanish, and in some ways it was not a good fit for me as a job. One of my roles was to go around and visit our supporting churches and talk about the work we're doing and ask for their support. Through that, I met a guy who introduced me to Paul Rasmussen, who's one of the pastors at Highland Park Methodist. Several years went by, and Paul talked to me about the Munger Place thing, and I wasn't interested in all. But after a while, I said yes, and so that's why I'm here this morning. And that's, of course, just one tiny snapshot. What about the the fact, the way my parents met when they did, and my grandparents met when they did? And this church was built when it was, in 1913, and people came together. So how are you here this morning? The Holy Spirit is God with us for guidance. I'd like to suggest that all your life, and even before your life, the Spirit was working to guide you. And the reason some Christians seem to be people who are living lives of grace and peace and courage, and others seem to be living defeated lives, is because some Christians have said, I'm going to turn my life over to the guidance of the Spirit. I'm going to go ahead and recognize what God has been doing all along, and some people are are resistant of that. So this morning, how did you end up here today? But maybe a better question might be, how might you let God lead you tomorrow? 
One of the very basic and most simple things it means to be led by the Holy Spirit is to pray for God's leadership and guidance in your life. It would be appropriate for you tomorrow morning when you get to work the first thing, you flip, before you flip on your computer, open your cell phone, look at your calendar, is to pray, God, send your spirit to guide me and lead me today so I take the opportunities that you're preparing and say no to the ones that aren't for me. Or maybe you could pray, God, open doors for me today and I'm gonna follow you through them because I wanna be led by you. Now listen, the Holy Spirit is deep and mysterious and we don't control the Spirit. The Spirit, and just because you pray about it doesn't mean you're gonna have some kind of ecstatic experience. It may be the case that tomorrow morning some of us will pray that on our knees by our bed and God will speak to us in a powerful way. I need you to do this today. But God seems to work in that way rarely. The Spirit seems to prefer uh, gentle nudgings often than sort of a brazen shout. Not always, but that seems to be often the case. So I'm not saying tomorrow if you get up and pray that prayer, Lord, lead me by the Spirit today, that God is going to say, okay, I need you to go to 7-Eleven. I need you to buy this cup of coffee. I needed you to get in the HOV lane. I need you to do this and that. It's not going to work like that. But I suspect if you start the practice of praying that and saying, God, my hands are open for you to use today. Lead me where you want me to go. I promise you that the Spirit will begin to work and lead you. Paul says, those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. He doesn't say some people happen to be led by the Spirit, uh, the really good Christians, and some aren't. It's the Spirit's leading is available to all Christians. I just wonder today if you've ever actually prayed, if you're a Christian, for the Spirit to lead you. And let's say you're not a Christian, you're still interested in the faith or you're exploring it. Perhaps you could begin to just pray, God, I don't believe everything that they're saying, I don't understand it all, but I'm still going to pray for your leadership in my life. That might be an appropriate step for you to take. Because the Holy Spirit is God with us for guidance. But the Holy Spirit is also God with us for comfort. We try to teach, I have a little son, he's two years old, and we're trying to teach him about the elements of the faith. And so we talk about Jesus being with him and helping him and guiding him. And he's sick this weekend. He's one of those, you know, he's a little guy, he's two, and he has a fever, and he's doing the thing where he just wants to lay there and just kind of, uh, uh, you know, that just breaks your heart as a parent, poor little guy. He's burning up. And yesterday he said, Jesus helps Jack, because we've taught him that. And we said, you're right, Jesus helps Jack, and Jesus helps Mommy, and Jesus helps Daddy. It was a comfort to him to think in whatever two-year-old way he thinks, and I don't know anything about two-year-olds think, if they do think. It was a comfort to him, though, to think of Jesus helping him. I wonder today if you're in need of, of comfort. A room like this with the people that we have, there's probably some of us who just feel so blessed today and just everything is going right, but there's probably more of us who feel burdened today. Maybe you're perhaps in need of the comforting of the Holy Spirit See, Paul says, the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live again in fear. This is verse 15. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. See, on our own, without the spirit, we would just be, we would just be left in this universe with all these random chances and coincidences, a universe where it often seems is where the right suffer and the might win. But Paul is telling us because of the work of God and because of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the church, we're able to cry out to God not as strangers, not as scientists, not as just people who are inquisitive about the world. We're able to cry out to God in the language of sonship. 
and say Abba, Father. Abba is this ancient Aramaic word that's sort of like daddy. It's a word of, of intimacy. The same way that my son calls me daddy, that's the way we can talk to God, our Father. You are not given a spirit of fear to stay into slavery, Paul says, but you are given a spirit of adoption and of sonship by which you can cry out, Abba, Father. I repeat that verse to myself a lot. That's a verse to memorize. So tomorrow, when you're worried about a big business deal coming through, you're worried about the state of your marriage, you're worried about where your kids are going to go to school, you're worried about how you're going to pay your rent, you're worried about some family estrangement issue, when you feel fear on you, you need to rebuke the fear and say, fear is no part of it. Because God didn't pour out a spirit on me in a spirit of fear, but through a spirit of adoption, of sonship, by whom I cry out, Abba, Father. In fact, when I say sonship, I'm not just being uh, un-PC. When Paul talks about sonship, he's not talking about brothers and sisters in Christ or children of God. He means sonship the way Christ is the Son of God. In fact, because of the workings of Christ, we have the same standing with the Father as the Son does. That's a powerful word of hope to you this morning. Do you need comfort? Because the Holy Spirit is with us for guidance, for comfort, and for strength. When the Holy Spirit, as Billy Abraham likes to say, is not a labor-saving device. I love that phrase. The Holy Spirit is not a labor-saving device. If you've run up tens of thousands of dollars of credit card debt, just praying about it is not going to necessarily make it go away. But if you are in need of comfort because of the place where you have brought yourself, because of the mistakes that you have made, because of the sin that has been working in your life and the lives of other people, if you are needed in comfort today, you can call out to the Holy Spirit and say, Lord, send a spirit of comfort for me today because I need you to work in my life. So tomorrow morning, when you face something difficult, or even this afternoon, it might be appropriate to step back Take a deep breath and just pray, Lord, send a spirit of comfort to me today. So as we saw in the creed, the spirit is God with us for guidance, for comfort, and then finally for strength. Listen to these great words from Romans chapter 8. Verse 9, you, however, are not controlled by the sinful nature, but are in the spirit. You're not controlled by the sinful nature, but you're in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God with us for strength. In a couple of weeks, I'll be performing another wedding. And the couple will stand up before me, and they take these incredible vows. You've heard these vows before. For better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. Oh, wow, what a vow. And the truth is, on their own, no matter what they feel on their wedding day, there is no way they can keep those vows on their own. It's impossible. It's beyond human power. But one of the things, of course, we do in the wedding ceremony is we don't just have them, like it's a contract, make a promise to each other. We have them make a promise to each other in the context of the love of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so I pray, Lord, pour out your Holy Spirit on them, that their home may be a haven of blessing and peace. On their own, there's no way they can keep those vows. But they're no longer controlled by the sinful nature, as Paul says, but led and are in the spirit. And one of the reasons I believe that some Christians seem to be living lives of victory over different sorts of sins, and others seem to be living lives of defeat, is some Christians have said, you, you know what, I no longer have to live that way. 
And although on my own I can't show more love to my spouse, to my neighbor, to my boss, to my kids, although on my own I can't love my neighbors as myself, although on my own the power of greed is gripping me, I know in the power of the Spirit God can work in my life and bring me to the person he needs me to be. The Holy Spirit is God with us for guidance, for comfort, and strength. Maybe one of the ways you need to demonstrate God's strength in your life is to start praying about certain things. If there's somebody in your life that just drives you crazy, that pushes all your buttons, that you just want to shake their head and beat it against the wall, in a spiritual way, of course. <laughs> Maybe you need to start praying, God, I have no love in my heart for that person, so pour out your spirit on me. Give me the strength that you have so that I can love that person. When, when you're walking through the mall, when you're on the new car lot, when you're watching all the commercials on TV that tell you that what's important are what you own and what you have, maybe one of the things you need to do is say, God, on my own, I want these things. On my own, I want to worship at the altar of money. So, Lord, give me the strength through your spirit to grow in generosity and grow in self-denial. Maybe that's a prayer that you can make. Even to small things, like maybe you have a hard time getting up to be on time at church in the mornings, which of course we don't have a problem in this church, but I've heard in some places that's a problem. Maybe you could pray every Saturday evening, Lord, give me the strength to get up and get going on time. That's a small thing, but the Spirit works like that. See, the Holy Spirit is God with us for guidance, for comfort, and for strength. But there's one other thing I want to draw your attention to here in the passage as we close. Because I want you to know who the Spirit is. Look at this. Look what Paul does here. He says in verse 14, he calls it the Spirit of God. In verse 9, he calls it the Spirit of Christ. When you think about who the Spirit is, maybe one way that you can have, take comfort and strength and guidance this morning is to think about the Spirit as God with you, as, as Jesus next to you. In fact, there was a, an old guy, and he was on his deathbed, and the pastor came to see him, and the man was worried, about to die, and the pastor said, just take heart, the spirit of Christ is with you, and he said, if it helps you, just imagine that Jesus is sitting right in that chair over there, and the hospice nurses reported when he died that he was just kind of stretching out his hand to where the chair was, to where he trusted that Jesus was. So today, as you go from here and, and, you, and you have worries, you feel like you're not strong enough, take heart that the spirit of Christ is with you. In fact, Christ himself says in John's gospel, he says, listen, I'm going away, but I'm sending somebody with you to comfort you, to be with you. And that's the Holy Spirit. And if today you're someone who has never trusted your life over to the Holy Spirit, maybe today would be a great time to do it. Just pray, Lord, <laughs> I don't even know what it means. I don't understand everything about you, but I want to be led by the Spirit in my small things and my big things. Lord, I want to be comforted by the Spirit to know that I'm a child of God regardless of what happens, and I want to have your strength working in my life. Because one of the promises we have as Christians in Scripture is that what God promises, he's going to do. You may not know a whole lot about the Bible. You may have a terrible backstory. You just may be a mess, but it is not up to you just as it wasn't up to you on the cross, God is working on your behalf and for you. So let's close in prayer today. Lord, we want to be people who have victory over the, 
the struggles in our lives, Lord. We want to be people who trust in you. We want to have the peace that you say is beyond understanding. So, Lord, pour out your Holy Spirit on us. Teach us what it means to be led by the Spirit, to trust you with small things and large things. And, Lord, teach us to have a a sense of humble gratefulness about the way that you're working in our lives. We ask all this in your precious name, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.